Oh, you know, we need a tagline sometime, too. Yeah, I thought about that, too. Yeah, we got to get a tagline. So when I say welcome to Surviving tag Danger Close, the ta- tag, you're it. No. <laughs> hey, welcome to Surviving Danger Close. Uh, I'm Jared. I am John. Dustin. And we have a special guest today, uh, Todd Cook from the Sheepdogs Mind podcast. Go ahead and say hi, Todd. Hi. Yep. Todd uh, Cook I was expecting you to say hi, Todd. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Simon it's too, says. It's too early. <laughs> hey, you asked for this time. Yeah, I know. Right. I did. Well, get it done and over with earlier in the day. Uh, we're not live today, uh, so you're welcome to everybody who's... We are alive. Barely. Barely. That's why they coffee. Yes. Right. That's... Uh, so today with Todd, uh, Dustin, you want to start in what we're going to be talking about? Well, um, quite a few weeks ago, back when we first started SDC, I was looking for a specific topic and, uh, found it on Todd's, uh, podcast and they're nice and short, but what, 15 to 20 minutes. I try to keep them pretty short. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they're, and uh, so I got listened to them more and more and then found out that you were. You had a uh, comment about a political leader in Michigan. You know, we don't do politics, but uh, may have agreed with you. And uh, found out where you were at. You're not far from us, so we thought we'd get together on it. And you are a Air Force Air veteran. Air Force veteran, yeah. And also you ran K-9, and I'll let you do your bio. So my background is uh, Air Force. I uh, was bomb dog handler for four years. Um I was involved in the Noriega incident in Panama, um, got out, became a police officer, started a dog program. I was at Canton Township for about 16 years-ish, I guess. Um, started their dog program, trained a bunch of dogs, and ended up leaving the department because of a post-traumatic stress injury. Mm. Um, did a couple other things, got my degree, uh, my master's in counseling, and now that's what I do. So I help other people. And the podcast is geared towards what I consider sheepdogs. They don't okay, have define to that to us. Okay, so they don't have to be they don't have to be wearing a badge or a patch, right? To me, a sheepdog is anybody that would put themselves in harm's way for somebody else. Period. So okay. that that's kind of the gig, my gig is that's what a sheepdog is. So it's the podcast is geared towards mental health and sheepdogs. John. <laughs> you haven't said anything. You're unusually quiet. Well, I'm doing morning. some quick research, you know. They're <laughs> supposed to do that before the podcast. It was a busy week. <laughs> you had yesterday off. I was. Uh, no, I had class. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, <clears throat> the one thing that I will we'll get to in a few minutes is the EMDR. Um, that is a process. What does that stand for? Because I can never get it right. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. So and it's in a way layman's to, terms. What that means is it's a way to reprocess something that happened to you in a different way. I can get into that a little bit more mm-hmm. as we go along, but it's a it's a we all have these things that happen to us. We use we also use the same techniques for other things now. It was originally designed by or understood and figured out kind of like by Francine Shapiro in the late mid 70s. Um, but it, she started off with um, eye movement, so that's why it was named that. She just passed away a couple of years ago, and she said that she would have named named it something else because you don't have to use eye movement. It's bilateral stimulation. But what we think happens is it, it causes the brain to not kind of go offline. You can re, rethink about something that happened in a different way and change the change the way it looks and change the negative cognition that usually is attached to that. I'll give you an example. For me, it was one of the EMDR sessions that I did. A friend of mine was killed at the police department. Hmm. Um, My negative cognition was we should have done more. I could have done more, right? In reprocessing that, I realized there's nothing anybody could have done, right? He was was dead at the scene. There was no, no ifs, ands, or buts. So why do I have to hold on to that negative thought? Well, I don't, right? So the EMDR lets the brain kind of stay in place to give you a chance to reprocess it and change that negative cognition to something more positive. It's really, really effective. Okay. And uh, this is something that you would do with a 
someone who's been trained in it. Um, this is not something that any therapist you go to would be like, yep, we're going to start session one. No. Um, you're going to build up to it. <clears throat> um, I know somebody has been in therapy for over six, seven months now, and they're still just starting the basics. Right. Um, and it's not something that you're just going to jump right into uh, and – you know, everything's going to be fine and dandy. You're going to be no. great in a number of sessions. This is where the employment, what is it, the EAP? EAP, some people call it. Yeah, the EAP is not, this is not geared for something like that. Um, this is geared for anyone who's been through a traumatic incident. I don't care if it's veteran, first responder, or right. civilian, it doesn't matter, to help you kind of, if I can use the word normalize, what you went through and react right a little bit better the goal is to change the impact of the event right we don't make the event go away and most veterans i've talked to and police officers too if you ask them if i could make this event completely go away for you this horrible thing that happened would you want me to do that 99.9 percent .9 of them will say no absolutely not it's part of who i am now right mm -hmm. so but what this does is it just changes the impact of it. And you're absolutely right, Dustin. It's nothing we jump into right away. Two things have to occur. The person has to be ready to do it and willing to do it, understand it, and be able to self-regulate. And the therapist has to be able to trust that that's going to occur. So I won't do EMDR with somebody on a trauma until they're ready, they say they're ready, and they want to do it, and I think they're ready to do it. Well, how do you even approach that subject, though, to... Oh, usually to, to get it's, them to to even say, "Do you want to do this? Do you approach? Oh, do so they approach?" You, well, usually they'll come into the office, right? They'll they'll schedule an appointment. They'll come in because something's going on. So, and that's when I'll do some assessments. We'll do a post traumatic stress screen, which just is, "Do you have these these symptoms? Right? Is this what's going on?" And once they check those boxes, I can pretty much garner. Did some? And I'll even ask, "Did something bad happen to you?" You know, like, and when did it happen? Was there more than one thing? Because it can be complex, too. If there's more than one incident, that makes it a little bit different in terms of how we're going to treat it, too. So they'll come into the office because something's going on. And then we'll just do the assessment. I'll do some talking to them. And most people are pretty honest. They, A lot of people do know, like, I had some shit happen when I was younger, and, right. it's, and it's affecting me now. They don't usually understand why it's affecting them, but... Then we can get into, I'll get into some psychoeducational stuff about the brain, the amygdala, fight or flight responses and stuff like that. And then we get started. Then it's a path. Yeah. So the main thing that I want to start, or that I wanted everybody to know start out, <clears throat> this is not something that you're going to go in and be done in six months. You you may not even be started doing it in six months. Depends. Because yeah. a lot of the time, and it depends on the person, but you have to... Know what's your trauma to own, number one. Right. And you have to be able to let go of your trauma. And that's one of the hardest things, I think, with trauma. Because when we go through it, hey, this is my experience. This is what I'm doing. And a lot of people, you know, somewhat general statements here. But from what I've seen, a lot of people, they've dealt with the trauma, say a veteran, uh, first responders who maybe saw something in their first couple years and they're still dealing with it 13, 14 years later, um, you know, they need to be able to let go of that trauma. Uh, when trauma comes with you for so long, correct me if I'm wrong, you start to identify yourself by that trauma. And once you're ready to let go, and it sounds like, yes, I want to let go of the trauma. It sounds like it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Not not exactly. Because you're actually taking a piece of you that you have developed and involved into your own identity. Exactly. And you know, just like the badge and the gun is your identity, so is what you went through. And when you're ready to release that, and sometimes you could probably get hung up on that. Some people do, yeah. And some people get hung up on... If I, a, a statement that's happened more than once is if I, if I um, am able to be okay with this, like it's not going to impact me like it does now, 
is that, does that mean I'm going to lose the memory of those people that I was with or what happened? And the answer to that is no, but it doesn't have to affect you the way it does, right? So it's not, it's not actually giving up what happened, but it's not letting it affect you in a way that just destroys you. Right. Like right. it's changing and it's changing the triggers, too. So sometimes you might have a, I'll give a police officer example. Um, the smell of radiator fluid. <laughs> right. We'll usually take a copper back to a really bad accident. Right. right? Um, Transmission fluid. Yep. 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 The smell of I mean, p people will be like, what? The smell of blood. The smell yep. of metal. Metal on metal has a specific smell. Right. So. All those kind of things are triggers. Now, the EMDR process will not always completely get rid of that trigger and the impact it has. So you'll go through the EMDR process to lessen the impact, change the, the negative cognition to something positive, and then also sometimes, you're right, it takes a little while to work through some of those triggers. I'll give an example. My personal example for me was the sound of bagpipes. So funeral, right? I go back to, as soon as I hear any bag type pipe, I would go back to my buddy Lou's funeral, which would take me back to the fucking accident, right? right? So I had to work through getting rid of that trigger, right? I did the process, so it's not impacting me as much, but the sound of bagpipes still would do that. Mm -hmm. So I had to figure out ways for myself to change that for me. So what I did, and this, there's a specific song, that would take me back there. Now, it doesn't affect me like it used to. It still has an effect, but not as not like it was. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I, I took <laughs> I took bagpipes, turned on YouTube, and I listened to ACDC on the bagpipes. <laughs> different song, right? right? It's a different song, right? But yeah. And it's a way to, to, to change that. it, right? It's a way to change it. I've got a couple of Tartanic CDs if you guys want to borrow. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> well, I'll try to think. I exactly. can't remember. There's one female group. There's like three or four of yeah. them that are all females, but they play they heavy play metal bags. on bagpipes. Yeah. Yep. They're amazing. Yeah, they are amazing. They're foreigners, of course. Yeah, you have to be to do bagpipes. <laughs> I, think. Right? I think that's like a requirement. <laughs> so changing that trigger, right? Making it making it change. And some of it's just kind of like um, a phobia, right? Like you kind of work through that, you know, fear of a spider, fear of blood, or whatever it happens to be. You figure out ways to work through that to stop that trigger from impacting you. And that's still a component of figuring it all out. So for me too, I mean, the way I do therapy with trauma is it's not just doing the EMDR. There's another portion to that that we do called RDI, which stands for resource development and implementation. So we put resources into somebody's brain basically so that they can use those if we need them in, in, in processing the trauma. But after that's all over with, then it's, it's mindfulness, being intentional, and I really do a lot with logotherapy, with finding meaning in the shitty things that happen to us. I mean, it's uh, really important okay. to find meaning in in what we're doing and in what happened. How do we use that? I think that's a good topic even by itself because um, a lot of times, or my personal experience, when you go through a traumatic incident, we obviously perceive it differently than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there, there are... You know, like report writing. We're we're told, you know, after a traumatic incident, you write just something down, right? Get it off your mind. It's not an official report. It's just a very, very rough draft. You get a sleep cycle in. More memories will come back. Now you start your, now you can start your report after one sleep cycle. But then, you know, after two or three sl sleep cycles, your memory comes back. But when you're talking about traumatic incidents, um, with mine in particular, you know, it, it was it was a shoot don't shoot type situation, and I was, you know, even kind of still to this day, I'm I'm angry like I didn't shoot. You know, everyone else is fixated on what a great job that was done, but it's like that's not at all how I seen it. You know, it was right. it was I should you know my training was even though it was impossible to make that shot, um, at least not without harming the victim. You know. Um, you know, and it's just our own personal, uh, I guess, how do I want to say it? Our personal interpretation of the tra trauma sometimes needs to be changed. Right. The point of view oh, needs absolutely. to be changed. And yeah. that's exactly, John, what we do in EMDR. We change that. We make mm -hmm. it look completely differently. 
right? So, and and with a lot of vets, um, we see a lot of moral injury, right? Absolutely. Like, oh yeah. So we um, we go through life as kids playing army in the backyard, shooting the bad guy, yep. and the bad guy shooting at you. Well, we know in combat that's not how shit works sometimes, right? right? So you end up no. doing things or seeing things that you're like, holy hell, what did I just do, right? So it's it's dealing with the trauma, but also going in and working on that moral injury too. Yeah, and that's super important. So speaking of our military vets, um, you know, I, I never really, I didn't see it around me when I was in, and I retired in 2018. Um, I, I didn't ever hear of it, you know. Like we occasionally had complaints that come through leadership about, uh, you know, a, a subordinate that maybe you felt they were slighted based upon their their race, their color, their gender, right? Um, things like that, um, but now you're starting to see a lot of it come forward with um, sexual trauma. Oh, yeah. Men and women um, being raped in the military. Yeah. Now, I understand it probably happened in in some units that I was assigned to and led, but it never got brought up. So what would you say to veterans that maybe had experienced that sexual assault? Would this be something that they could possibly use to help get through that? Yeah, for sure. I've done a lot of EMDR sessions mm-hmm. with sexual assault victims. You know, and, and yeah. that's a particular topic. I, now that I'm retired, it never really came to the front of my mind until my daughter said, well, I was thinking about joining the, the military. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know how many trainings in the last two years of my career I had on state sexual assault? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is obviously a problematic um, conversation in the military. And, and right. uh, unfortunately, there are still victims. Yeah. Well, and I and, think that's, well, to that point, there's a lot of victims that don't come forward, especially guys. Right. They won't yes. come forward. You know, if they get sexually assaulted and you're a guy, that's not supposed to happen, right? Right. So a lot of those guys aren't coming forward. And, and it's a trauma that has a, I don't want to say built-in secondary trauma, but exactly what you said, especially if it's a guy. You've got that, and then you will you bring that up to somebody else and the first person you bring it to is going to be like, there's no way, no, whatever. They're going to be name called. They're going to be downplayed. They probably won't get promoted. Blacklisted. Blacklisted. And they'll probably even have to leave the unit before that will stop following them. And somehow, you know, the military is all interconnected. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go to another base and somehow it's going to follow you. Oh, everybody will know. Yeah. And, you know, even same with females. Um, I know when I was in, there was a situation with someone my wife had met where she was sexually assaulted twice. The first time, they were taken care of it. Second time, oh, no, you asked for it. And it was like, you know, so now you've got the trauma of the assault, and now you've got the trauma of nobody's going to help me. Right. Well, I've, see, I've seen that a lot with sexual assaults. Um, they... The first is the the trauma of the assault. The second is the trauma of nobody believes me, mm-hmm. right? That's a problem too. And sometimes it's working. Yeah, it, those become complex, and then working through those because there's a lot of negative cognition that goes with that. Then they start questioning themselves: Did I really do this? Well, right. no, you didn't. It's not your fault, right? The fact that somebody didn't believe you is not your fault. Sure, right? So and, and it's working through those. You know, those and we we've, we've had a couple. Um, for an agency that I work for, we have done a couple investigations where, unfortunately, it was a victim, a potential victim crying wolf. It wasn't through a long and tiring investigation. Now the officer has to come to the conclusion of, well, shit, now I've got to approach him or her and, and call her out on the carpet and say, mm-hmm. this didn't happen. Right. You know, I've done all my investigations, I've done my interviews, I've done my interrogations. Now I have the hard thing to do and call him or her on the carpet and say this shit didn't happen. Right. You know, and you you better darn well be sure before you make that accusation that that your ducks are in a row. And make sure your leadership is behind you on it and you've gone to somebody else and somebody else. Right. right. Yeah, that's not a decision you make on your own. (laughs) Peer reviewed and then peer reviewed. Leadership right. reviewed and make sure everybody's behind you on it because that's a tough call. And because I mean, maybe that incident didn't happen, but right. maybe that whatever the incident was, 
triggered an incident back here, or they're full out lying trying to get somebody in trouble. I mean, you've yeah, possibilities around too. Yeah. 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 Um, what I'd like to do is say we've got somebody that listens, mm-hmm. never been in therapy, but no, they're at that point where hey, I need help. Something's okay. got to change. Yep. They they know the signs. They're seeing the signs. Maybe they're on their fifth, sixth marriage and figured out. Well, the only common denominator is me. Um, <laughs> you know. So you have not some... talking about you, is he, John? No. Okay. <laughs> no, he's only on his twelfth. Okay. Um... <laughs> I made a mistake once. It's definitely not. Him. <laughs> and your current wife made a mistake once too, and she stuck with you. Yeah. Um, that's okay. If she's listening, well, well um... if she stuck with him, she made a mistake twice. Well, that's true. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's gonna kill us all, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm married up. That's all I gotta keep telling myself. That's right. That's what I tell myself. That's what um, we all do. So if my that's wife's right. listening, ding, that that's a point for me. <laughs> so you've got somebody out there that's you know, they know they need the help. They what do they what do you recommend that they look for when they call a facility? Okay. You know, how do I basically wanna ha- take somebody from ground zero to where okay, I need help, but they're scared to take that next step because you know, you're talking to a perfect stranger, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to. You know, nobody knows. If you've never been in therapy, you don't know what to expect. So, kind right. of alleviate that for. Well, me. I think the thing to do is to go. The first thing I would do. I just did this for somebody out of state that I got a call. Um, I got I actually got an email from a wife of somebody that needed help. Um, I can't see him. He's out of state, and. So the first thing I did was go through psychology today and look at the close therapists to him and ones that did EMDR. Um, okay. EMDR is not for know, everybody, but go ahead. For those that don't know, psychology today is the publication and they can usually they can get that online, right? Yeah, it's online. If you just type in psychology today, you'll be able to see um, all the therapists. You type in a zip code, whoever's close to you, right? Okay. So once you do that, then you then pages and pages and pages of people are going to pop up. Therapists are going to pop up. And I would say start to look through what their focus is. And if they're, the first person you're looking for is somebody that focuses on trauma and then somebody that does EMDR. And they'll put that in their bio, basically mm-hmm. the little bio. And you'll be able to tell by looking at these people kind of what you're looking for. And then I would... I would call a couple of them and talk to them before I even scheduled an appointment and say, hey, have you ever worked with this, this, or this? How many first responders have you seen? Or how many veterans have you seen? Those kind of things. If they've never done any of that, I would, might go to the next one, right? Right. And, and I've shared that, too, is like um, I, have a, uh, I started a peer support uh, team for the county for all first responders, and, and several have reached out and said, I'd like to start therapy. And I've kind of pointed them in directions, and the therapists have said, well, that I like that, and I can do that, but to be honest, I've never worked with first responders. Right. Uh, and I even shared my doctor that I go to uh, through the VA. He deals with veterans all the time, and uh, he's from the U of M, and uh, he says, you know, I'm actually excited about this opportunity to work with a first responder because the majority of the people he deals with is, is trauma that's 30, 40, 50 years ago. Right. Whereas, you know, first responder may have recurring traumas. So, yeah, oh, you, yeah, you really have to sort through who would be a good fit for you. You do. Yeah. And then even on top of that, though, John, it's going and talking to the person that first time. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to tell if this is somebody you click with or not. If it's mm-hmm. not, move on. Right. right? Like, and, and a therapist won't take that personally. No, absolutely not. Like, we know not everybody's going to jive with me. And that's okay. The... Our focus is on getting you the best help you can, and if that means going to somebody else to get it, good on you. Go. Because we have to build a relationship. Absolutely. You know, if I'm going to share my deepest, darkest secrets with you, we better have a relationship that I trust you. Yes. And you're not going to hurt me. Correct. You know, you're not going to manipulate those memories or traumas in a negative way. Right. And it's also, you know, if they have a mole on their cheek that you just can't get over, you know, we know, you know, I 
mental health as well. Molly, 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 I was trying to think of something else to say, but Mole's the only thing that can come out. I'm known for saying things that everybody's thinking. So, Well, I do I see that no Jared has up there the Black Knight. None it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> um, but if there's just something that you just you don't feel comfortable with as therapists, we're okay with that. You know, we our goal is to make sure you are comfortable in the setting that you're in. So if you don't feel comfortable, and I don't care if you don't like the aquarium in the in the waiting room or whatever the case may be, right. you find a place that's comfortable. It's yeah. okay to quote unquote fire your therapist for the good reasons of hey, Todd, I just, there's something here I'm not connecting. Right. Can you help me find somebody else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I went through three before I found one that I clicked with. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely okay. I won't say how many I went through, but there's two initials. One start, it starts with V and ends in A. That I went through quite a few of them before. Yeah, I your VA story is horrible, dude. Yeah. It's horrible. Well, yeah, I've shared like some to, of it with you. I like yeah. to think mine was pretty good, but then she retired, so I hope I didn't break her. Right. <laughs> I think we've talked about this before, but I think we found her in that padded room. <laughs> yeah. Right. Ramirez. Yeah. Ramirez, keep him away. <laughs> Gwen, I'm sorry if it's by chance you hear this. <laughs> I'm doing good. Look at so. me now. <laughs> I'm coping. <laughs> So we've got somebody that now is comfortable with their therapist. They've had the initial. And in the initial one, it's going to be, you know, dependent on from therapist to therapist, it's going to sound like almost an interrogation. Oh, yeah. Depending on how they do it. Some do motivational interviewing, and they can do it with more of a conversational style. Um, The first one, you're not going to learn anything. Oh, see, that's where I differ a little bit. I always teach my people in the very first session something so if somebody leaves my office i want them leaving my office with something valuable so it might just be teaching them to do deep diaphragmatic breathing to calm the amygdala down but if they choose to go somewhere else at least they left my office with something something some kind of i like that effect some kind of tool yeah and and i think that's important too because you know i have friends and or family that have went to a therapist and they left and they felt like they got nothing out of it. And the, and the, the worst thing is when someone is finally ready to receive help, they go find somebody and they're like, well, that was a waste of time. Right. You know, and you know, I joke about Gwen and, but you know, the first time I met her, she was very, it was like an interview. Interviews are different than interrogations, but it was an interview. And, and she says, you know, you don't strike me to be a meditator. (laughs) Sorry, Pat. Um, <laughs> but she she did uh, give me a CD of um, kind of like some meditating. It was guided. There was a voice, you know, on the CD. It wasn't right. just in my head this time that was telling me, you know, to, to concentrate on my breathing, you know, and things like that. So even if I didn't feel that Gwen and I connected, which we did, um, she at least put something in my hand to to put to use, right? A tool that I can leave her office until I do find someone, right? So I, I think that's it. That is a very good. It point. is important, but you're right, Dustin. Not everybody does that. No, because I went through quite a few, um, quite a few, and the only thing I learned is this person's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and until I found my current one, but so we've got, you know, you're gonna be, you're gonna have to talk about your family history, medical. You're going to have to talk about that. So, you know, unless you have a therapist, as Todd has said, that actively teaches from the get-go, you may not get a lot out of the first couple sessions because right. they're bound, and now this is just my experience with the agencies that I've been with, they're bound to do an assessment, a full assessment, and then a treatments plan. And then the third one, they're finally, the insurance is out of the way. They're paid. They're happy that they have this treatment plan. They have the assessment. Now you can get them out of the way and you can start talking. Right. So definitely stick with it. So once we get done with those first few sessions, what is it going to look like for them? Usually, so the you're right. The first couple of sessions are mostly information gathering. The more information I have about somebody, the better I can help them. And the other thing is I can also find out other issues they're talking about or have that they don't even realize is a problem, right? I've seen several people where they come in for one thing, I start talking to them and find out, oh, 
your dad kicked your ass every day between the ages of six and 12, like with a stick. I mean, put you in the hospital, right? Like, okay, that's a problem, right? Right, That's a thing. Yeah. Um, and they think, oh, that was normal. Like, right. no, that wasn't normal, right? right? That's like, not normal. Right. <laughs> right. My that's, normal was fucked up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So let's talk about that. How did that affect you? Is it part of that complex issue, right? Um, so, yeah, information gathering is just huge. So after we do that, then we start to talk about, okay. Your cat almost died. <laughs> yeah, they like jumping up behind people. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, there's a cat behind my head. Right. Predators. Gotta love them. <laughs> right. Windows, Sorry, are, windows yeah. open. The squirrels are running around outside. They they want to yeah. do what they yeah. want to do. We need a video for that because that cat, that would be priceless. Yeah. Cat awesome. just appeared. I'm right. sorry, Todd. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> no, it's all good. So, I don't even know. Where was I? I was talking about. <laughs> That's my line. Oh, is it right? <laughs> so, like the third session in or fourth session in, you'll start to talk about, okay, what are the things, right? And in, in what I do with EMDR, I'll explain what EMDR is, if it's something you think you want to do or not do. Like, this is your journey, right? I'm just here as a guide to help you through it. Sure. So once they decide they want to do EMDR, then we start that process. And usually takes about two or three sessions to set it up. And then an actual EMDR session lasts longer than a normal session. Okay. Um, so I usually schedule out an hour and a half or two hours. And it's exhausting. You're going to relive the entire event again with the same kind of body stuff you had, but it's going to be different this time. It's going to change. It's not going to look the same, um, but you're going to be tired. And then I usually, within 24 hours, talk to them or have them email me, tell me they're good. Because um, sometimes doing this process, other old memories will come up or think you'll remember something that happened in the event. What I have people do is either write those down or just remember them. If they're disturbing, we have a place to put them in your mind. That's part of that resource development piece that mm -hmm. we do. And if they're not, you can you think you can deal with them, you can deal with them, right? Or you can bring them in and we can talk to them, talk about it, you know, the next time you come in. But sometimes things will pop back up over the next day or two. And then generally what starts to happen is about three or four days later, people are like, holy cow, I feel different. Like, this is not affecting me. And I'll give you a, uh, an example um, without trying to figure out how to do this without outing my client. Um, let's take a person that was involved in a car accident when they were young, 17, 16 okay. years old, um, driving through a subdivision similar to this one, um, hits and kills, uh, kills a little kid, mm. is never charged. It's not his fault. Kid runs out between some cars, right? Now that person's 65, right? right? So this whole time they've had to deal with this and thought they had dealt with it pretty well. Mm -hmm. But so one of the symptoms of EM or post-traumatic stress injury is avoidance, right? Mm -hmm. So you avoid certain things. So he's avoiding subdivisions that look like that, not driving during that time of day. Starting mm -hmm. to think about it more and more sure. and more and more as he's getting, you know, older and now grandkids are coming. Like, right. it's becoming an issue. Um, so we do the whole process. We do the whole EMDR process. Um, a week later, he, this person comes into my office and says, um, it's like a miracle. Like, I just drove during that time of the day in the exact same subdivision where this happened. And, wow, well, I had no problem. Like, yeah. I can do it, and it's not affecting me. Like, I'm not affected the same way I was before. So it's it's amazing what it can do. And that was after how many sessions? Uh, eight. Eight? Maybe nine. Eight okay. EMDR sessions? Or no. Eight total eight sessions. Total sessions. Okay. Yeah. The nice thing about EMDR is we try to do the worst or first. And sometimes when you do that, it helps take care of the other ones. Like there's this sure. trickle-down mm -hmm. effect. So the brain starts to figure out, I don't have to let this bother me anymore. So sometimes, even in complex, where you have multiple issues, we only have to do one, and the other ones kind of get dealt with. Sure. And on top of that, we're, we're teaching coping skills, how to deal with those triggers, 
how to not let them affect you. So there's multiple things kind of going on. So you really don't have to do every individual event that occurred. Now, sometimes you have to do multiples, but not always. Sometimes what's nice about it is you only have to do the worst of the first, and it kind of helps with those other ones. It helps deal with those. I I think I'm speaking on first responders' uh, behalf. When we experience traumas, I don't want to say every day, but frequently, and they compound upon each other. Yep. There comes to, before we started recording the show, we were kind of talking about how that, you know, that's just what happens to you. You know, you you develop that thick skin. You get messed up as your career goes along. And then all of a sudden, one day, something happens. And you're like, well, I thought I dealt with that. That's, that wasn't an issue. I remember just, what was it, a week or two ago, uh, Dusty, that I messaged you? And I was like, what the hell? Oh, yeah. That came out of left field. Yep. Like, and, you know, it was, I, you know, I bounced stuff off of them because, you know, that's just where we're at in our friendship. And right. it's like, man, I... I didn't think that was a problem, you know, and, and so, you know, I just guess for our listeners, you know, that, that can happen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does often like, so sometimes it's a life change that, that brings you back to something that happened before. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've got a really good example of that. A guy I know his very first call was to a dad and a kid, um, putting limbs in a wood chipper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kid and kids ends up after that. Yep. You can handle just about everything. Well, so I, I'm with this guy. This was with a different department. I'm with this guy, three or four years after that. He tells me about the event, and I'm like, that doesn't bother you. He's like, no, not really. Didn't bother him until we had a kid. Right. Yep. Now, now that changes perspective inside our brains. Now it's a thing, and right. now it's bugging them. So once that happens, yeah. Go in and get that shit handled, right? There's and I, I do I've got a whole podcast on the unintended consequences of not dealing with your crap. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you put stuff on other people and your kids and your wives, and it's a it's a thing. And that's the last and thing you don't we want to realize do. it. Right. You don't realize it. It's the last thing we want to do as first responders. Right. We're supposed to be helping people. We don't want to stick our junk on somebody else. Right. Right. So and there's a lot of unintended consequences. For not dealing with yourself. And another part, bringing it up, that's kind of the other side of that coin is knowing what is your trauma to own. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that I've learned recently. Uh, it's something that, you know, okay, something happened to a victim. You get called for it, John. You're there. It, it's traumatic. You're trying to help. And then later on, you're like, man, well, maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have patrolled this way. Right. You know, trying to think of all the stuff that, uh, uh-oh, I'm getting. You were turning and looking at John. Oh. I was having a hard time hearing you. Jared, he's actively I, staring I was, for Mr. Young. I, I was trying to quietly get you to, to <laughs> we're just not do quiet it. Here. And you're like, what are you doing? What are those hand movements? All I saw was, you know, <laughs> cheerleading going on over there. <laughs> but you have someone who, who goes through it, and in your mind, you're, you're trying to own it. Like, what should I have done? But there's nothing you can do about it. Right. And that's taking someone else's trauma and trying to own it. And I can see first responders doing that all the time. You know, parents of those who maybe their son or daughter has gone through something traumatic. Well, I should have, could have. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to own that trauma. It's separating what you own as your own trauma because we all have enough trauma to deal with without taking everybody else's on. Right. So how would you work with someone on that? That's the negative cognition piece, right? That's that negative thought piece. Like this, this I should have done this or I could have done this yep. or, you know, something different. That's that. So in, in doing the processing, once we go through the whole process, right? So I'll just use John for example. So you go through a really bad situation right Mm -hmm. and your negative thought is this we reprocess the trauma so we do a level of disturbance when we start this process so if you're when we reactivate your sympathetic nervous system your parasympathetic nervous system to have you back in that trauma right i ask you what your level of disturbance is and usually you'll tell me eight nine seven whatever right the goal is to get you down to zero so we reprocess and re-go through this that's why it takes two hours, this event in your mind right. over and over and over until it goes from a eight or a nine to a zero or a one. Once that occurs, 
then we say, well, the negative thought initially when you were activated was I didn't do enough, right? We take that to now, what do you think? What's the, what do you think now, right? When we go from a seven or eight to a zero, well, now I think I did everything I could, mm. right? So you change that, you change that cognition. Sure. And then we work on that, we put that in place, and that's the new thought is I did everything I could because that's the truth. Right? Sure. So it change it changes the way it changes the way we think about that. So we don't have to own it. You know, and, and there's dynamics to that too. Um, if you listen to L Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, he talks about it briefly. When we when we think we could have done something differently, you have, in my opinion, you have to break it down to: Did you do everything you could with what you had, whether it be knowledge, equipment, training? You know, and he talks about why the murder rate, this is what the conversation was about, why the murder rate has dropped in the United States. Well, it's not necessarily because there's less murders. It's because the training has changed. Yep. The, we have new equipment. Right. You know, 10 years ago, did everybody carry a tourniquet? No. And what are we trained? What are we told when we're issued that tourniquet? Who's that tourniquet for? It's for you. It's not for anybody else. That's, that one's for you. And that's a sombering moment, kind of like when you're 18 writing your will. But anyway, you yeah, know, it's a, it's a sombering moment. But how many officers do you know or anyone else that when the, when the time comes, they use that tourniquet and they don't use it for themselves. Right. They put it on someone else. Right. So that is why, you know, between the training and the equipment and all those things, why the murder rate has come down. But same thing, if we're looking at a scope of a traumatic incident, um, did you have the equipment? Did you have a tourniquet? No. Okay, so that wasn't even an option. Did you have the training of how to apply a tourniquet or make a sec you know, a, a impromptu tourniquet? No. Okay, so you, did, you didn't have that ability either. So part of it is processing it and realizing like, oh, yeah, I can't look back 10 years ago and say, man... I, I should have done this. I could have done that because that technology or that information wasn't available to you at that time. Right. But tell that to yourself now. Right. Right. <laughs> that's the and problem. that's the trick, right? Yeah. Because if we could tell ourselves that now and just be okay, you and I, Dustin, mm -hmm. would be out of jobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. There's enough screwed up people in, in our oh. counties. We're, we're good. Man, no kidding. Especially knowing where you work at. It's, yeah, yeah. We're crazy busy. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and busy. you know, part of that is also the conversation. You know, we talk about tourniquets and life-saving efforts 10 years ago. This right here, what we're doing at this square table, was not happening 10 years ago. No. Wasn't happening five years ago. And this is a, a what is what brings legitimacy to a podcast like ours or to the uh, roll call room. Uh, you know, and even William Young with Corrections. These are honest conversations that we're having with peers saying, look, you know, Todd's, uh, you know, veteran like myself with the Air Force and, and Dusty over here with the Army. We can have conversations with, you know, with the same correlations um, and same thing with first responders. We're, we're saying, um, you know, yeah, this, this stuff messes you up. If you're messed up before you become a first responder – maybe you shouldn't be a first responder. If you really want to do that, you really better be active in therapy. And, you know, everybody's scared of medications, but sometimes medications are needed as long as they're controlled. And, mm -hmm. I mean, right. maybe, maybe you agree, maybe you don't. Um, sometimes they're needed. But it really yeah. takes an honest self-evaluation to get into a, a career um, with prior issues. And that's one thing about medication, just to stem off that, it's a tool. Right. You know, I've worked with people, as I'm sure you have as well, that, okay, you know, I think medication would be good to start off with you. Right. But that's not the that's final. Just to help. Yeah. I'm not saying to go get right. the highest you can get. Nope. Start at the lowest. This is a process. Find what works. And our goal in therapy is to eventually taper the medication back down to where you don't need it sure um and that's you know sometimes you may be a medication the rest of your life sometimes but you know my experience with the public that i deal with and maybe yours too that that's a very small 
yes account of your of your clients mm-hmm. that are on medication forever for life forever. yeah oh right. yeah that's a small portion yeah you know most people can can taper off mm-hmm. eventually now i have seen cases where somebody's on them for a long time probably because they didn't work through their stuff um, right and are relying on the medication just because it's easier it helps it's a crutch it's easier yeah um, but for the most part, yeah, I think generally, the, the, and, and you're right, Dustin, the goal is to get get off of them, not to stay on them. Mm-hmm. And it is easier short term to stay on them. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the one thing I want to make, you know, so if you're on medication or you get prescribed medication, your goal is to not stay on them. You know, right. Your goal is to get the help you need. Um, now I'd like to turn a little bit more to what kind of tools do you have with an EMDR session? Kind of walk us through what an EMDR session would look like for someone. Well, EMDR is interesting in that you don't, one of the kind of the cool things is if you're going through the session, like John, if you were going to do a mm-hmm. session with me, you wouldn't have to tell me everything that what, that happened. You can just do it in your mind. Right, like okay. you can process that event again in your head. Okay, you don't have to verbalize. You it. You don't have to verbalize it. Okay. Yeah, which is which is different than talk therapy or narrative therapy or mm-hmm. all that other stuff that we kind of work towards, right? So that's kind of the the cool thing about it is you can do it that way. As the counselor, it becomes a little bit problematic for me because I still have to ask you like, what's going on, right? Right. Um, and and kind of help lead you down a path mm. <laughs> inside that. But you don't have to verbalize it, which is really kind of nice. And that's one thing that with veterans I've worked through with Warriors Hope is they don't want to verbalize it because I don't want my civilian uh, therapist to know how truly messed up I am or to have their own trauma from it. I'm um, going to be hospitalized after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, the, that's the one thing I've worked with some, they're like, well, you're not going to call 911, are you? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, last time I verbalized it, my family went off the rails. I'm like, no, no, see, I'm not your family. We're in a safe setting. Right. This is where you're supposed to talk about it. And then near the end, you know, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, we help you kind of package it back up and compartmentalize it until right. you're back there again. Because right. we don't we don't want that spilling out while you're right. driving home. Right. Well, that's right. one of the things we do in that in that resource development and implementation phase, that RDI phase, is one of the things we we would do is we put a container in place. So you mm-hmm. imagine a container where that you could put thoughts and emotions and past things into that you can lock up and put away, get mm-hmm. it out later if you need to, and we do that with the use of bilateral stimulation. Okay. So the interesting thing about this whole EMDR discussion is is this. Francine Shapiro basically said in the 1970s she figured this out, right? But the reality is this is really, really old. And here's why. And here's what I, what I kind of figured out in doing my research when I got my master's. Um, so all research is me-search, right? Okay. Um, yep. It's just the way, it's the nature of the beast. So... I'm doing my final projects on trauma and post-traumatic stress injuries. And another person in my class was doing the same thing. I did adventure therapy, right? So guys going out fly fishing. I was really curious mm-hmm. about fly fishing because the veterans that do it seem to get a real big benefit out of it. Right. So there's multiple components to that. Right. Social distancing at its best. You don't want to get close to somebody starting out fly fishing. Right. Exactly. But you're with a group of guys. You're doing group therapy. You're on the water. You're outside. You're exercising. You're eating right. There's many components to that that are really good. This other person in my class was doing Native American post-traumatic stress injury. What did the Native Americans do Mm. when they got done with a war? And they did drumming ceremonies. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, drumming and fly fishing. I wonder if the timing's the same. Like, maybe it's timing, right? Well, I'll come to find out, the timing of the drums and fly fishing is the same. But that's not what it is. It's bilateral stimulation. It's the bilateral stimulation of drumming okay. or stepping or walking or tapping or fly fishing. Now, the, vet- the VA supposedly has picked up some 
guitar playing therapy thing. I don't know what they're doing. Somebody else told me about it. I have to check it out. But same thing. It's bilateral stimulation. Well, now at least they're doing something. Right. They're trying to do something, right? Yeah. You know, so I'm staying quiet on this right. one. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so you can do, some therapists will do tapping. Some will do sound. Some will do a light bar. I use two little guys that vibrate back and forth in your hands. Yes. Um, and I, I think that that, and I've tried the other stuff for myself and for other people, but I feel like I get a better altered state with the little vibrator guys that go back and forth. But the reality is any bilateral stimulation. So in doing my training for EMDR, one of the things that um, Linda Coran is who I trained with, she said in places where we've had big traumas, right, tsunamis, tornadoes, mm. they take a group of kids, right, and they paint a picture, what life was before the event, before the tornado came through, what life was like during the tornado, and what I want life to be like after the tornado, right? Hope for the future. And then they have each kid hold up their picture, and they talk about their picture while they're walking in place. And it's just the bilateral stimulation okay. that helps create mm -hmm. that change in our brains. For whatever reason, that's the way it works. Now, we can see you do the tapping, the drumming. Explain bilateral stimulation. Oh, okay. So me. it's on either side of your body. So if you think of drumming, you're drumming with your left hand and your right hand back mm -hmm. and forth. You're tapping on your legs, left and right, back and forth at whatever speed. Or sometimes we'll have people hug themselves. You tap your shoulders or your lat and your shoulder back and forth. That one's for you, John. I can't reach. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is a tough crowd. Right? <laughs> so that's what bilateral stimulation is. Now, I would also say do not go online and try to do this yourself. This is bad. <laughs> this right? is not your, a DIY. This is not a DIY. <laughs> a DIY. No. And it's also not for counselors, right? Like go get the training if that's what you do for a living. Make sure yeah. you're doing the right thing, right? Um, and in terms of medication, too, I wanted to say I've had, and you probably have, too, had clients and patients come off medication without working with their doctors. Don't do that. Right. No, <laughs> right. Don't you do you were it. messed up before. Yeah, don't do that. Now you're messed up and you're going through withdrawal. Yeah, don't right. do that. Just don't. It's all bad. Because the temptation, is, obviously, is there because you, you feel like you have things in control. Yes. You feel like you've handled everything and you're feeling pretty good. I feel great. Let me stop taking my meds. Right. right. Wrong. Train wreck. <laughs> yeah. Problem. Big problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to... You're going to go, you're going to regress and fast. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I've seen people that, hey, things are going great. Well, don't do it. Come back the next session. I'm like, all right, what changed? Well, I stopped my meds. Well, right. you know, Come on. Todd, look back to your police career. How many times were you called to a home for someone out of control oh, yeah. and come to find out it's it's not the assaultive behavior or whatever reason why we're there it's the fact they quit taking their medications yep Absolutely. you know but then as soon as you put the handcuffs on well if i'm going to jail i gotta have my medications right <laughs> right wait well, during the bathroom if you were taking them you might not have went today yeah, yeah. it's like going Absolutely. back to the uh uh ride along episode where that guy you found out he was going in now everything hurt before you right. asked him is everything okay yeah i'm good i'm good well, you're going to jail. Oh, now this hurts. Oh. <laughs> Having a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, yeah. a classic one. Well, it's okay. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're in this together. Well, at least at the ER, I can finish my report. I'm anxiety right, right now. <laughs> While I'm sitting at the ER, I can do my report. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bring my laptop in with me. <laughs> so what's the importance of the bilateral? I mean, of the most okay. that I've seen was the light bar right. or the handheld devices. So nobody knows. Yeah. Good answer. Great. We're done. Perfect. That Nobody is knows. the most it's honest It's answer. interesting, right? Because I just started doing some research on a podcast that I want to work on about masks and how horrible they are and why, right? Correct. And so in doing that research, I go to live science. Um, I'm looking about, I'm looking up like new information on the brain. I'm, I'm a brain guy. I want to know what's going on. And in... <laughs> I pull up a list from Live Science in 2019. I think it was 20 new things we learned about the brain in 2019. Like, it's crazy. The shit we don't know about the brain is amazing. Oh, yeah. Right. So, uh, do you guys know who Michelle, I think he calls, I think his last name is Kaku. He's one of those ancient alien guys. He's a oh. gray-haired Asian oh. guy. Oh, no. but He's okay. a physicist. So, they ask him on one of the shows, um, 
you know, what do we not know a lot about? And he says the Big Bang and the human brain. And it's so true. Like, some of the things they found, the human brain, we just don't know a lot about it. So we don't know. And almost all of these psych meds, too, we don't know the method of operation. We don't Mm -hmm. know why they work or how. We know what they do. We don't know exactly why. So the short answer is we have some ideas, but we really don't know why this works. We know it does. And I, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that's going to be like, oh, it's because of this, this. No. Because you go on, you look online for any part of the brain, and you'll find three different things it does. Right? So the amygdala either, con- they'll, they'll say controls fight or flight response or emotion. Or the hippocampus controls emotion, but maybe it does this too. There are people running around no. with half a brain Literally, no right. funny, no funny stuff, John. I'm, tra- I'm sorry, <laughs> right? He's but like one of half them. their brain completely gone and functioning right. normally, and they shouldn't be. And they shouldn't be. There's a lot we don't know about the human brain. Now I know how my wife feels when I try to describe the car to her. She just knows it works, <laughs> right? Honey, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how. I just know that it does. Okay. So there's some there's a component in your brain that that has that gives us the ability to smell, right? It's these mm-hmm. little nodule things, right? There are people, and this is one of the things I saw in this live science article, there are people running around that don't have those. They don't have any of those little nodules for smell, but they can still smell. They know what an orange smells like. Unless they, they can get smell COVID. it. Yeah, unless they get COVID. <laughs> Maybe they could if they didn't have the little <laughs> nodule. I don't know. Right. But they, they don't know why they can still smell. They just know they can. There's a lot we don't know about the human brain. Because I know that they've said, you know, at least growing up and you know, even my master's, it's like we only use, actively use a very, very small portion, yeah. um, some smaller than others, but very mm-hmm. small portion of our actual brain. And yeah. then you get all the theories of, well, this leads to, but no, it's, we don't know how some of those chemicals, I mean, even just in the last, oh, I'd say eight years, maybe the last decade, the suboxone thing has come out for those yeah. with substance use. And I did substance use therapy at a suboxone clinic. And as like, a therapist, right? As a therapist. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for letting me do that. Well, it started out as a client. I was there so much. They just Wasn't said, yeah, patient. you can stay. That's <laughs> usually how therapists go. They start out as patients and then become a... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> and, uh, hey, if you can't, teach. Right. If you're crazy, you'd probably be a good therapist. Um, and it's just they don't know... Why it works, how it works, they just know it works. Right. And that's the thing with this EMDR is I kind of had an idea of your answer. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just one of those things that if it works, you know, unless it's illegal or immoral to you, yeah, it works. Just go with it. Yeah. So I will say that I, I've done some research online, too, about people who've had EMDR that it didn't work for, or they had a bad experience. That's their self-reporting. I'm making air quotes here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that therapist did or didn't do with them or what mm-hmm. it looked like. Maybe they were put into it too fast. Maybe they weren't ready. Maybe there was, I don't I don't know the whole thing. Just make sure if it's something you're interested in that you want to go into, um, talk to the people doing it. Don't necessarily take your information offline. I mean, we know what the mm-hmm. internet looks like. Wait, so. are you telling me that there's... The internet is not 100% correct? Yes. <laughs> this is that 0.2% that's not correct. Right. <laughs> but it's just like every other therapy. Some works for some people where it doesn't for others. So, so EMDR is a tool. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, that's what we're, we've been trying to put out here. Um, no offense to Pat, but the, um, oh, what did he call it? Mindful meditation. Mindful meditation. See, I, you know, brain injury. Um, you know, mindful meditation that he described, I don't feel it working for me. Maybe I'm doing it wrong, whatever. Maybe it's because I have three young kids (laughs) or I'm undiagnosed ADHD, (laughs) but that doesn't work. And just the same as this. Yes, it's a professional thing. You've got to find a professional who is trained in it. And it's just like any agency, any organization, not everybody will be good at it. Right, And so if you feel it's not working and they still want you to keep with it, 
you know, you can have that conversation with your therapist and say, Hey, I don't feel it's working. Let's get a game plan going. Right. Um, you know, it's like, I know for me, the, oh, what's it called? Progressive exposure therapy. Yeah. I had somebody that was, was trained in it, certified. And on the second day they said, watch this video. And it was like, it was all flashbacks. That's what I would need to go to help while progressive. <laughs> right? I don't like horses. You're not, you're not going to throw me on a horse <laughs> for, right first trip. You don't go on the horse. <laughs> Perfect. Can I eat it? <laughs> like, no, well, I'm going off, horse. I'm going off on a tangent. Canada. But yeah, horses are like the most useless animal. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to ride it, right? I don't need to anymore. It's, I'm not. You're, Jody, you're if you're listening Amish to this, right now. I know. Jody, if you're the listening butter to this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's John, not me. Right. right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, like, I want to come purpose. back. I want to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be let back in the driveway. <laughs> By the way, uh, in all seriously, though, uh, sincerity's out to hope well, as I've seen one of their horses. Yep, they did lose a, a horse not uh, this last week. Um, it wasn't justice, so I'm still here. All right. <laughs> right. Um, that's uh we had on i don't know if you've heard many of our podcasts but we've had uh hopewell ranch out of near um weedman well they call it wademan sorry they named it wrong um (laughs) not my fault spelled the same as my last name and not pronounced right Um, outside of mount pleasant right yep mount pleasant oh okay and it's uh equine therapy therapy and it's very good like i went in completely like john is now there's you know they're just animals and came out and I've wished they lived closer. So but I've always told them if justice that that Mustang ever disappears, don't look at my place. Well, you know, and that's something that, like you said, you know, try and bring this back around, you know, with our show, we try and bring different ideas yep. um, to our veterans and our first responders and their spouses of therapy that's out there. Cause a lot of people think that's the only thing that's out there is going sitting on a couch and you know talking to somebody while they write something down. Right. Says, right? says the guy sitting on my couch right. talking about his problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Anyway, it's a comfy couch. I haven't fallen asleep yet. But well, I see you moved from the corner. Yes. I, had I mean, to. we came in and you plopped right down there. Never been right. in this house before, and boom, there goes John. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> come on. It is a comfy couch. It is. Yeah, I uh, observant, highly trained right. and observant. Okay, <laughs> found the smushiest spot and I found it and I, I was happy. Right. <laughs> but just to bring this back around before we they're picking on me, uh, you know, we bring these tools and ideas uh, of different therapy options that are out there. You know, something uh, like EMDR uh, is probably thought of as more as a uh, what like a like a shaman type deal compared to equine therapy like these are new mm-hmm. and I know you said it's been around since the 70s but it's not really been talked about you know for right. the for the common person maybe right. in therapy that has an interest in it yeah you've studied it for a long time um, but would you say EMDR is a last resort type therapy for someone or I guess you know for for our listeners at what point would they say oh maybe I should Try equine therapy. Oh, because, you know, this is real big with service pets. Um, but, you know, how how would f- someone find what works for them? What direction, you know, if I, I think, have a you know, listener? That's a really good question, John. And I think the answer is what what's your personality, right? Like, I'm a, and you guys seem the same way, kind of like one and done. Like, I want to get this over with right. and get, I want to hit it with a hammer and be done, right? I want, I, I'm tired of dealing with my crap. And I want this fixed. Right. I'm infantry, so we don't, if we can't get it with the hammer, we just blow it up. Right. Exactly. So I think that's the. Please, I build bombs. (laughs) I know. You're the ones that helped us. You and eight, you're an enabler. You enabled us to blow more stuff up. Right. I was hoping that would come out your nose. I was waiting for you to take that. You built them, you used them, I found them. Right. (laughs) We have the whole trifecta. We do have the full circle. We did come around full circle again, John. All we're Uh, missing is an EOD guy. (laughs) Yeah, those aren't available. I won't say what we did, but that's okay. (laughs) That's for another show, 100th episode. No, I think the, to answer your question, I think the big thing is what's your personality, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think is going to work best for you? 
understanding that some things might take longer than others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all. So an open mind. Yeah, an open okay. mind. And a willingness to, to yeah. really truly A willingness get to give it a shot. Okay. Right, whatever Because I'm still is. stuck on the how the heck am I going to explain my fly fishing trip. <laughs> and therapy. I, it's therapy. A whole yeah. weekend? Yes, yeah. it's Perfect. intensive. <laughs> I, I, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've got a pond. So. Right. <laughs> I don't want to be that close. But anyway, you know, if, uh, yeah, if I'm going to do therapy, it's going to be a ways away. Um, oh, okay. Like, tippy dam. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, you know, uh, with some of the things like that, I guess what I would be afraid of is like, uh, let's take the fly fishing thing. Yeah. Uh, conveniently. How we, conveniently. Or, I mean, even even if we talked about equine therapy, you know, with some people, they're going to be like, well, I want to do the equine. And then they go there and it's, they just like animals. So they're completely missing the point of right. the therapy of the animal as much as like, I like fishing. Well, so, part of that's got to be, you got to be self-reflective, right? Mm-hmm, you have to yeah. be able to go, this is helping me or not. Okay. Or am I just having a good time? And don't right. just go <laughs> to fly fishing just to fly fish. Well, no, I'm going to eat. Um, well, that too. <laughs> okay. But if you're going fly fishing to try it out and you're going by yourself, well, different, not, that's, different that's deal. a different deal. <laughs> like at, uh, you know, we were talking about Hopewell. You know, they have a program. They have people who are right. there to guide you. It's just like right. the therapy type setting. Where you're not just talking about last night's game in your therapy session. You're right. talking about something that you're being guided to. And that's what I want our listeners to understand is that this isn't something, well, I'm going to try fly fishing therapy. You know, <laughs> yeah, don't go. That's a lot of money to get into. Don't just. Start well, yeah, that's it. like me saying I'm going to start duck hunting therapy. First, I better win the lotto. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, the wife says I got to have the fin- basement finished too. So I'm waiting on that. But. Well, if we're going duck hunting, I'll come over and help you. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I just had an idea, but we won't put that on the air. But, yeah, so, yeah, those are all great ideas. And there's lots of things out there. But figuring out what fits you the best is kind of up to you. Like, what's your personality? What's it look like? Finding the right person to talk to, I think, is the most important step. Like somebody that's a trauma-informed therapist. Sure. Somebody that really works with trauma and understands it. And asking the right questions beforehand. If yeah. you call a, an organization and they say, yes, we have trauma-informed therapists here. Okay, that's step one. How many people have they worked with? Well, you'll be number one. Okay, nothing against that therapist, but I would not recommend that if you're well, one. somebody's got to be number one. Yeah. Not everybody can be number two like you, Dustin. <laughs> well, I've gone through quite a few. Okay, you're doing hand signals there. I'm what are you doing? Want? A hand signal. I, I wanted to get to a stopping point. I was hoping to find a natural stop, and you guys kept talking. Well, I guess this uh, okay. is natural. So, so here's so our natural we're stopping at, point. We're at the hour mark. Do we have another hour in us? I could talk all day, fellas. So whatever you want to do. We okay. can stop there, here. We get paid to, to talk all day. Okay? Right. <laughs> all right. So this is what I want to do then. Join us for part two. All right, let's do a part two. Yeah, I was waiting for a good for a good edit spot. Join us for it's right part here. two. Okay, yeah. All right, so so we're gonna split this one up into two parts as well, and we'll see you on the next one.